Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Wait, Claire was also Googling 1993 because she wasn't alive. So welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lyons, and I'm joined today by my co-host and cousin, Aaron Raiderstorff. Just kidding. Aaron is not here right now. She is currently landing a private jet. Um, but Claire McAllen is here, and I'm so excited, our new third co-host. So, and joining us today, we have Jen Derry, which who will introduce her later, so get ready. But first, you're just going to listen to us chat before we actually get into the nitty-gritty of Jen and her crush moment and all the fun of who she's going to marry. So Jen and I were lived in the same freshman dorm in college. It was named Prosser. We had a mix CD. It was incredible. Yes, we did. Prosser Third Floor. Girls. Yeah, I think I found it years and years ago when I was years and years because it's been so long since we went to college. Oh, stop. We're sold. Also, Jen, I didn't, I think I, I've definitely said this on the podcast before. I didn't graduate. I left after my sophomore year to move out to LA. But Jen included me on one of the reunion emails was like, hey, well, it was just like a mass email. Like, are you coming? I was like, I mean, I'd love to, but I actually didn't graduate from the <laughs> Can I come? You should um, just come. It's the metaphor, right? It's the right. like, were you on Prosser Hall? Once. <laughs> where did, wait, where did you girls go to school? Muhlenberg um, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Known A-town. for pre-med and musical theater, which is, you were <laughs> on the pre-med floor. Were you pre-med? No, I was nothing. I was like a lit major and I was like among zombies. It was like all of you guys, the theater people were like out until 4 a.m. And then all of the science people were studying until 4 a.m. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to bed, guys. Wait, did you room with Dana or no? Yeah, yeah. So how did a theater major and a lit, (laughs) Claire, oh my gosh, Dana. Dana. I want to be part of this so bad. Wait, wait, Claire, (laughs) here's a real quick question. How old were you in 1999? Oh, stop it. I was, I was, I was five. Claire was five years old when we started college. (laughs) Hang on. I need to do some quick math in my life. (laughs) I turned 28 in a couple weeks. Yeah, she's a baby. Claire, oh all I'm going to say is that I feel that the two of us have aged well. And so I think we're modeling, I think we're modeling some really strong vibes right now. I completely agree. I'm very excited to be part of this. That's why and I'm going to say a bunch of stuff about Dana that I don't know. I'm going to throw myself in on these memories and be like, yo, do you remember that frat party? I just want to be part of this oh. so bad. I just, okay. So here's my thing about how did Dana and you get on that? I got on that floor because I met my roommate at freshman orientation and she was pre-med and we just decided to become, I was like, oh. let's be, let's be roommates. We seem to like like gel well, well we'd literally talked for maybe like an hour two hours totally. and then they called me halfway through the summer and were like hey we're actually for the first time ever we're opening a theater dorm would you like to be part of the theater dorm and I was like no I don't I spent my whole existence with theater kids other than if I was wow. swimming and I don't want to sorry I I don't want, I want, I come, come, I'm coming to college to be a theater major, but to like broaden my horizons and not be with theater kids all the time. And, but I did call Shannon. I was like, do you want to be in the theater way? She's like, I do not. I was like, great. <laughs> was she <laughs> pre-med? Was she, she pre-med? Was okay. Yeah. But I think she became a lawyer. I should probably know that, but I don't know. But anyway, LinkedIn. I think she, yeah, LinkedIn, yes. but anyway, so I know how I got in the pre-med, but how did you and Dana you're lit and she was theater. 
I mean, one never knows these things. The funny thing is that when I was a sophomore, I put myself back on that floor. I was the RA for 32 freshman women (laughs) on third floor Prosser. So, you know, like we'll get into this later, but sometimes I think there are, are like moments where you look back and you're like, oh, that's when I was becoming who I would be. Mm. And as like a 19 year old, I mean, Claire, you, you and I have missed none of the, or like we missed all the frat parties just to be clear. Yes. I was never, okay. Connected. Yes. I was un- well, Yeah. Cause you and Dana and I were hanging out hundred <laughs> percent. I, I had a lot to prove cause I didn't want to be a theater dork. So I went to a lot of frat parties and I joined a sorority. And I she dated a president of, fr- of a frat deepening and, he dumped, and he dumped me because I wouldn't sleep with him. Of course he did. Hashtag anyway, frat parties. Anyway, hashtag, go ahead. I'm 19. I'm like, you know, it'd be a fun idea. Why don't I be on duty every three nights? <laughs> like make sure no one is drinking, which I didn't really care too much about. And then I had a single and I had a couch, like a little love seat couch. And so what would happen? My 32 girls that I loved so much, that I still keep in touch with, um, they would need to talk. So they would come to my room and sit on my couch and I'd be like, what's going on? This is pre-coaching eventually I become a coach. Right. But like from early days, I think there are major threads in us, like who Mm. we are and where do we start practicing that stuff? And for me, third floor Prosser was like a beginning. Oh, that's really sweet. Stop being so deep in the intro. All right. Intro time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Drop Um, some F-bombs. Okay. So this, I was, I, I was gearing up for this. Did you ever, um, go to other people's rooms or did you guys have it where we would watch Dawson's Creek together? Um, Do you remember sitting in, like we used to have it in our room, but I think other rooms had it too, where like a bunch of people, guys and girls would come and we would literally watch Dawson's Creek like it was the Super Bowl. It was so intense. Yes, I do remember this, but I will just say that as you might put together, because I was not theater and I was not science, I was like, where are my people? And I almost quit quit school how do you say that left Mm -hmm. at Thanksgiving freshman year because I was so I felt like none of those people were my people and so and then and so it was a big deal that not only did I stay but then Mm -hmm. I I came back and I was like I'm gonna make sure everybody feels included I'm gonna be an RA I'm gonna make sure like whatever they study whoever they are that's you know that I don't want that to be an issue for other people. And I felt, you know, I'm a big sister. I have a younger sister and a younger brother. And so that has kind of been a role for me, mm-hmm. but no, I, re- and everybody was totally nice, but I just didn't find my people yet. And what I remember counseling some of the girls when I was an RA about is I was like, listen, you need to find your secret underground, cool people. Mm. They are not going to be the loudest. Maybe they're not going to be the most popular, but everybody has secret underground cool people. You just have to last until you find them. (laughs) What I find to be so sweet and hilarious about this is we were the, we were on the pre-med floor. There was nothing cool about our floor. Then I was a theater major. So it wasn't like we were the cool popular people. But you know what? This gives you a spectrum of where I was at. If you can I live in a, just a little background, I live in a home for artists now, kind of like a rent tick, tick, boom situation. And if you can just survive those years as a theater kid and come out the other end, like we didn't all go to school together. We met each other as adults, 
and now it's a bunch of theater kids turned semi-functioning adults we get to sing together mm-hmm. we riff off of each other like being theater kids together as you approach 30 is really actually a lot of fun you know <laughs> I'm married to a theater kid even though he only did I think like one play in high school but you know we met at Groundlings in LA and we literally improv with each other every I think day about it all, all the time I have the same phrase in my head I think theater kids will rule the world Um, (laughs) if they can just make it and it's so it's so I love what you said about you got to find your like what did you say secret underground underground cool people people. Mm -hmm. and I totally agree with that because I think one of the things one of the reasons we started crushed is because especially being in LA and feeling so rejected all the time I felt like it wasn't that other people didn't understand but I had so many friends good friends for from when we all kind of moved out to LA together that were blowing up that were becoming I don't mean like mega. I mean, I do have a, one dear friend who's about to like pop off, but like I, I did have so many friends that were working consistently or like leads on a TV show. And like, I couldn't even get in the room. And so it was such a, and I know that idea of like, I can't even get in the room or I can't even get to the table. You know, my hope is, and Aaron's hope is, and Claire's hope is, and, and I think a lot of our guests that we have on there is we share our stories because we want people to know they're not alone. And it doesn't mean your story is exactly as somebody else's, but it's just like, oh, me too, you know? Totally. And even as you're talking, I think there might be some truth to the fact, I mean, I'm going to say like, I was kind of nerdy, but in high school, like I, I was in the very middle, which means that I was not popular, but I was not mm-hmm. picked on. Mm. So I was like middle and I was, I could sort of like converse and hang out with kind of like the, the middle of the mid of the yeah, yeah. ends, right? So anyway, I, I don't mean to say like I was a super nerd or anything, but in some ways, as you're talking, I wonder if it is even harder to find super underground cool people when you look like you already have your people. So mm. when you say I went to L.A. with all these people, in my mind, I'm like, there they go. The like fancy, cool besties. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's such a competitive space that maybe that makes it even more cloudy to figure out who. Oh, Right. Yeah. It was really, I think the other thing about moving to LA is when you go to, okay. When you go to college, first of all, when you're in high school or you're in, you're growing up with these people. And even when you're the new kid, I I don't know, all the new kids were always mysterious. So they were kind of brought in right away, especially in like middle and high. But in college, we all needed each other. You join as a freshman, everybody desperately needs each other. You know, the the reason I brought up Dawson's Creek is because I just randomly thought of the, wait a second, Claire, have you ever seen Dawson's Creek? Um, I was not, immediately. I was not allowed to watch it. Oh, no, totally. I mean, <laughs> we're also five. I just mean like later on the TNT, <laughs> Hulu generation. Like Erin watched Dawson's Creek religiously, but she also was five or four when it Yeah, <laughs> it just um, wasn't. I think my parents felt it wasn't age appropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never watched any of those movies like The Breakfast Club or anything like that until yes. I was like post-college. Really? Yeah. I think I watched Pretty Woman once in college. But, like I was never, I watched The Little Mermaid. I watched Beauty and the Beast. I watched Aladdin. Claire, don't. So we were watching it. the same movies at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <that's> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. My first boyfriend, like my first relationship, I was in LA and I was trying so hard to prove that I was all kinds of different things. Uh-huh. And my first boyfriend, and we were like in love and everything. And he said to me, he, he said, you're just so young and like naive and immature. He's like, what, like when you wake up from like a bad dream or something, you turn on the little mermaid. 
you're just such a little girl. He's like, like, why don't you turn on like the breakfast club or pretty in pink? That was his like bar for like, Maturity. Like maturity. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, and I literally like was like, why don't I? And like, yeah, yeah. And thank God I held on to the things that made me me, but yes. it it definitely waxed and waned a lot in that relationship. Anyway. I don't know if we are going in this direction anyway with this whole conversation, but I will just say that like Kirsten, you and I knew each other vaguely at college, but mm-hmm. I cannot even remember how I think it might have been like a DM on Instagram or something, but what is so compelling to me about you hmm. is that you are not doing the obvious thing. Like in your life, there is a, there's a mental model for me of your story of what I knew about it as a freshman in college that like, I don't, I don't know. Everything I'm about to say is super stereotypical, but like you went to LA and then you, I, I don't know got went to a red carpet or like I don't even know like he went and did all those things and then probably had a surrogate to have all your babies or like I don't know different (laughs) things like that and I'm like oh she definitely was going that direction but you have made choices that come from non-stereotypes I love when people do the weird thing I love when people make a hard left or a hard right, because to me, it means that you are being driven by something greater than momentum. Mm. And anyway, all parts of your story, I was like, wow, what's going on over here? And I think a lot of yours, and again, maybe we head in this direction at some point, but like, I think a lot of yours is faith. And let me tell you, it is one of the most subversive things I know in 2022, especially in like urban, liberal, modern settings to have Mm -hmm. faith in a higher thing that I know that our country is being overrun with a lot of other versions of that, but like, it's really on some level, not cool. And I love that that is a part, big part of you. And oh, wow. Thank you. Well, wow. That was so sweet. I know. I'm like, you're going to have to pull that clip. I like that. Oh my gosh. I loved that phrasing, the being driven by something larger than momentum. Yeah. Oh, well, that's think- why everybody sleepwalks, right? You, you study a thing, you do the thing, you have the two kids, you get a dog and a mortgage, <laughs> and then you sleepwalk. And then you call me because you've completely lost yourself and you have mm. a job that your dad wanted you to have. And now I'm coaching you through it. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I feel like I see those, I don't know, repercussions later on in your career a lot. It's really, yeah. it's also really interesting that you say that because Claire and Aaron both are doing the exact same things. Like, you know, Aaron now, so Aaron moved out to LA to become an actress and realized that's, I'm not actually, what I wanted out of that was actually very different than actually being on set and acting. That's not, there are other parts of that. I love the meetings. I love this, but I don't really, and she's now working at the camp that she grew up going to. And now she's like the director of the camp or co-director of the camp. And she's so happy and she loves working with kids and she loves camp life because you're not a teacher. You're a coach. You're a big sister. You're a mentor. You're a just a person to love on these kids for a week or a month at a time. And Claire is a a spoken word poet. And like, she's carving out her life and she like hosts things and she's like, has this artist residency. And it's just like, it's interesting to me because I think in some ways, you know, I'm in this like group chat with these girls and then we'll definitely move on to crush. But I was, I'm in this group chat with this girl, these girls. And I actually had, and I love all of them and they're all amazing women. Like we got into it actually because of anti-racism stuff. Like we really wanted to like um, do it well. Um, and it's, it's filled with women of all different um, races. And it's, I'm so grateful for the group. But most of the women in the group have very normal jobs. 
like most of them are uh, working at schools or churches or um, even authors and speakers, but they don't, it, their life isn't constantly hit with rejection over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it was so bizarre to me because I realized I was feeling really jealous and I had to like take a step back because they would be like, Hey guys, can you pray for this job? And then my husband's going for the shop or I'm going for the shop. And then like three days later, they'd be like, we got the job. Can you pray for this house? Oh, we got the house. Can we? And it was like, of course, because that's, that's how God has like, that's where their life is at. There's, there's nothing just because that's where their life is. at doesn't mean they're better or worse than me. It's just, that's where their life is at. But I needed to take a step back because I was comparing I would ask for prayers for something. And then they'd be like, did you get the role? Or did you, you know, cause I just went back to acting over like after an eight year break or, yeah. or did you guys, um, cause my husband and I have a production company, did you guys book that job or whatever? And you're like, no, no, yeah. no. And Claire and I talk about that a lot. I mean, she has a whole spoken word show right now. She's sold out other two shows and now she has this whole show. And as far as I know, you haven't booked a show yet. Right. Or have you? nobody's buying it. Nobody's buying it. And it's, it's gut wrenching because, and we've talked about, well, by the time people hear this, we talked about it on the first episode, it just hasn't aired yet, but like, it is so smart. It is so good. It is all about, you know, we lack intentionality and in dating and relationships and how we're all kind of, especially single people are just trying to do this without a, like a course map. And, yeah. and it's so funny and great and wonderful. And it's just, anyway, all that to say, it is so hard to like, my, my life is marked by faith and it, and ultimately it's marked by peace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bradley and I have just had so many pivots and so many life changes. But I think a lot of that has to do with when we said, I do to each other, we weren't just saying it to each other. We were saying it to God mm-hmm. and we were like, okay, God, like ultimately this is your relationship this is your marriage. This is your family. And we want to, um, we want to be open and say yes. And that has included our family looking different and our family living in different places, but I'd rather live like that and not have uh, the best, you know, still living in an apartment at 41, than be living in the the dream home and be so, um, not at peace. It's real. It's real. All right. So on today's show, you've already heard her and she already just made me cry. But on today's show, we have Jen Derry. She is a highly sought after leadership coach, mom, business owner, brain tumor survivor, and the founder of Plucky. As a coach, Jen has impactful conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and managers at every level to create healthy work dynamics and a better life for all. She lives in Arlington, Virginia with her husband, sons, and a cat named Pete. Wait, you have Pete the cat. Eat the cat. That's his name. So I have to tell you, like, I actually wanted you on season one, but I wanted to wait until we had a little bit of uh, like a couple seasons because season one, you had only been, I think at season one, you'd only been like a year, maybe like two years post. I'm trying to think maybe a year and a half post-op. But not just that. I mean, even way before you shared about that on social media, you've just, I mean, I think you donated to Ashley's car. And I was like, what? I remember crying because I was like, oh my gosh. Like what? you needed like a hundred more bucks. And I was yes. like, stop. This yes. kid is getting a car. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so excited to have you here um, on Crush the Podcast. Okay, really quickly, your perfect mash. When you were 12 years old, who were you gonna marry? All right. Well, I just want to tell you that first thing this morning I was googling 1993 because I was like, what the hell was going on? Um <laughs> All right. 
have either of you ever Wait, watched- Claire was also Googling 1993 <laughs> because she wasn't alive. Was a speck of a something. Um, yeah. Have either of you ever watched Days of Our Lives? Um, no. I think my mom watched Days of Our Lives. Yeah, exactly. That tracks for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, <laughs> like, what you should know is that, like, I'm the oldest of three kids. Mm-hmm. No one- no one was like taking us to concerts or anything like oh yeah we had tv but it wasn't like like as, when I was 12 like it's kind of like similar to what you're saying Kirsten like I was kind of secretly 10 in my social knowledge of the world but also my entire life I've been like 32 so like yeah. I needed to wait until I was 32 and I was like I'm finally here you know like I was always <laughs> totally. like very grown up anyway so, um, who I wanted to marry, I didn't even think about it like that, but here are people I thought were cool. Thing number one, Steve Johnson, which they called Patch on Days of Our Lives. I'm going to look him up right one now. Eye. Yeah, he had one eye. <gasps> I like okay. Patch. Claire, Claire wants a guy with an eye patch. Okay, no, get hook. this guy. Patch. Oh, he didn't have a hook. Claire is so overcome with emotion right now that she just, she just left the phone. She just left the phone. I'm Googling him. (laughs) He's handsome. Now here's the thing. Uh, obviously I was not 12 when this happened. I do remember in kindergarten, this is like one of my earliest memories. We were watching days of our lives. This is something my mom watched, my Nana watched, like all my aunts watched. So when we get together for Thanksgiving and stuff, we'd be like, can you believe Marlena's possessed by the devil? Like, you know, it was like a lot going on anyway. I remember my mom talking about Marlena being possessed. Oh yeah. That was, I still kind of have nightmares about that. But, um, so anyway, in kindergarten, I remember it was a Friday afternoon. We were watching days of our lives patch was getting married to Kayla. Kayla was, uh, couldn't speak. She had lost, I think she was deaf, right? She couldn't hear, couldn't speak. Okay. They're at the altar and suddenly at the altar, her voice comes back and she can hear, but the Friday ending to this season is when she steps up to the altar and he steps up to the altar and then it ended. And I cried so much that we had to wait the whole weekend for the wedding scene. (laughs) And on Monday, her voice came back and her ears opened and her and Patch lived forever. So anyway, he was like a major like lady killer in the way of like healing miraculous problems. with (laughs) (laughs) Patch and the other one is Brandon from 90210. I was a Dylan girl, but I- Of course, everybody loved Dylan. And I was like- yeah, he's hot, but he's kind of a moron and he'll never go anywhere. So no thanks. I also secretly had a thing for Ian Ziering. I had a secretly had a thing for Steve. Oh, Steve. I liked his blonde tight curls. Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love curly hair. I love wavy hair. And I liked his white blonde tight curls. I-, I think Claire's looking him up right now. I did right for I sure. Know. Yeah. No. <laughs> there was a 90210 when I was a teenager too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He was the dad. We had one too. He was the Oh, yeah. The they always do that. Um, Wait, here's a question. I think... He was before Nine came up. There was MMC, which okay. There was MMC, the new MMC, and then there was like the I'm talking about pre Justin and Britney and everything. I think he was in a series on that that was like a dramatic series within MMC called Teen Angel. Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive he was in that. Steve and the guy? party? No, uh, Brandon. Oh, Brandon, Brandon, Jason Priestley. Okay, fantastic. What did you want to be when you were 12 years old? Again, I have no idea, but (gasps) tracking. I joined the school newspaper in third grade. I was on the school newspaper in middle school. I was into Brandon 
on 90210, who's school newspaper, and then yeah. I was editor of my school newspaper in high school. So That's I'm awesome. pretty sure writing and some kind of like journalism. I don't know if I thought I would be like, like definitely not a newscaster or something, but I was definitely into writing. Like that was always a thing. I just remember when I was in LA after Ellis was born, I got like the mom cut because your hair is like falling out. And I just remember that Andrea was next to me and we had a whole conversation and about being a mother. Um, but I remember thinking, I'm like, when I was like, whatever, nine, I think that's when the show came out or 10. Yeah. Could I have been like, yeah, one day you're going to get your hair cut next to on just like such a weird world. Anyway, uh, she's very kind, by the way. Um, all right. And then where were you going to live? Well, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was okay. born outside Philly. Then we moved to Ohio. Then we were in Maryland, actually. Uh, then we moved to New York. And that's where I grew up, like an hour north of New York City. Okay. Um, I don't remember having any dreams there. And I was thinking about this this morning. Um, it is such a difference between my kids' childhood and mm. mine. I don't think I took a plane until like high school. There was a trip to France and I went with my French class. That's and cool. yeah, it was it was very game-changing actually. I, I realized it was so magical that you could know these other words and show up in a different country and get food or a wake-up call or like all kinds of stuff by just saying these other words. Anyway. But my kids have definitely been on planes like a lot. And, you know, we were in California and all of our families back east. So every summer we would come. And uh, I just don't think I saw myself in the world in the same way that my kids' generation does. Obviously, that's a super privileged thing to say. Not every child is flying on planes all, the pla- all over the place. But um, I think I, it's, more, it's more accessible. It doesn't mean right now it's accessible to all. It's just more accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the internet exists. Yes. So you can see a lot more places that are out there. So when I was in sixth grade, I, I think I was just sort of like on the escalator. I was like mm-hmm. going, I didn't, I didn't see options off, but I wasn't like bothered by that. I was like, mm. okay, I got to get to seventh grade next. Then I got to get to eighth grade and hopefully right. I'm not going to get picked on and you know, stuff like that. Um, but no, the answer to the mash part is house. I never saw myself in a mansion, but I also okay. apartments were like weird and Right, right, right. For like grownups who didn't have kids. And so I was like, no, probably not now or yet, but definitely house. Uh, yeah. Claire, didn't you want a house on stilts? A shack on yes, stilts? Yes, a shack on stilts. Really? I was telling you. So Claire, also, Claire also, it's so funny how many of our guests have uh, their political or some of their views have very changed. And I think Claire wanted to be, did you want to be a Republican presidential nominee? I wanted to be like a congresswoman. Yes, I was. Oh, I in lived, a house um, on you said, you're, you said you're in Arlington, right? Yeah. Uh, I lived in Clarendon for a while in college. There later for coffee with a friend. Oh, yeah. I was on North Pershing Street. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in Bethesda. I lived all over that area. Wait, when did you live in Virginia? The summers in college and before college. Okay, I grew up in Massachusetts. I would spend my summers before college, during college, after college, down in DC doing internships for like right, 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 right. extremely far right wing. <laughs> we uh, all have places machines. to grow, guys. We all listen. <laughs> I was a kid, Skeletons. and the perks the perks were unreasonably good. Okay, yeah. you can't fly a fifteen year old to Santa Barbara put them up in a five-star hotel and expect them not to start just like <laughs> hanging out with John Voight. Okay. It's what <laughs> had to happen. Okay. No, they have John Voight is very integral part of this system. Okay. Oh, no. I'll send you my picture with me and John Voight after this. Fantastic. I'm 15 I'm, years old. I'm very and excited. my shirt says young Americans for freedom. 
<laughs> oh my God. Of course it does. When I see people wearing those shirts in the airport, I'm just like, no, I'll, yeah. I won't go near you. And actually I, I am like a walking billboard in airports. I, if I have any shirts with messages that I want the world to hear, I always wear them in airports. Me too. This is where everyone is mixing. And I have, I always wear the future is female. Um, nice. And then I can tell who's pissed with me. And then I'm like, bye. Guess what? <laughs> my Everybody mom, else is looking. my mom wears um, t-shirts with Jesus on it. Cause she says people are nicer to her, but also if the plane's going down, Jesus is going with her. There we go oh. <laughs> on the shirt, on the cotton. Yeah. When she met my ex, uh, my ex fiance, she was wearing a shirt that said it's cool to be Catholic. Oh, she's the cutest woman in the whole world. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So your crush moment is, I'm going to be honest, it's intense. We've had some intense yes, crush yes. moments. You know, what I love about the show is everybody's crush moment is so integral and personal to them. Take it away. So uh, this was in 2016. I had a three-year-old and an eight-month-old and um was having a lot of just like not feeling good in my body stuff. I had had postpartum depression with my first son. So we were on the major lookout for that with my second son. Um, and through a, a million doctor's appointments and stuff, I ended up with an MRI and they found a very large brain tumor in my brain behind my left eye and my temporal lobe. And this was not the plan to put it really simply. <laughs> <laughs> not, that is a shirt that is a shirt you should have yeah this yeah yeah this is not, not the plan, plan. <laughs> oh my god you're so right that's a great shirt. <laughs> um yeah it, it just was the most um like shocking news of all time and uh they were like and you have to get it out like right away because we can't believe you're functioning so I had it out about two weeks later. They put me immediately on some meds. I had to wean my younger son very quickly um, because of all this stuff in my system. And, you know, just like we had just moved to California like a year and a half earlier. Mm -hmm. So, and, and with such little kids, like you don't have really like a network yet or community. Um, I worked remotely because I was running Plucky, my business, and my husband was commuting to San Francisco. But still, point is, is that there wasn't a lot of community there. And this whole thing brought community like the daycare mm. parents made a meal train and mm. um you know my sister actually lived out lives out there still um but you know she was super involved in coming over and taking care of my sons you know so we could go to these doctor appointments my mom flew out my brother flew out eventually uh so yeah so sorry i'm like totally skipping the actual drama of it but two weeks later i had brain surgery um they got it all and it was benign. So all of the best case scenarios of the worst thing to ever happen were true. Nonetheless, it was awful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had recovery, I had no hair. Um, and you just, I mean, this is true for your other podcast people, I'm sure your guests, I'm sure too, but like, there is just this messy jet lag of, mm. you know, the news, but you haven't yet worn the news or like owned the news. And it is an identity mess of mm. here's who I thought I was going to be. And here now I'm the patient and everyone's like looking at me and mm. attentive and I don't want to host anybody. Like I'm in my own head about who I am. And then eventually now you become this word survivor which is very complicated for me. And uh, mm. 
I just went to, well, we could talk about it, but I just went to a walkathon with a friend of mine who is also has a brain tumor and hers is not benign. So she's, you know, looking at a very different path, but um, I went to support her and it turns out that like, I totally forgot that this might be triggering for me. And I was like a mess the whole time because I am survivor. Also, I wear also the gray shirt, but my story is really lucky comparatively. And I felt so uncomfortable. Like Mm. I kept, I was like, don't pity me, pity the people that need it, you know? Mm. Um, So that was six years ago and um, I'm okay now. That was six years ago? Yeah. 2016. Oh my gosh. I thought it was three. Mm -mm. Wow. Yeah. So I'll pause there. That is the crushed thing. Well, I, okay. One, one thing I think that's so interesting when you were talking, you were talking about the daycare and them creating a meal train. I, I was listening to this woman, she's Ugandan, but now she lives in America. And she was talking about one of the saddest things she sees in America is how individualized we are, how individualistic we are and how we don't live in community. And it's because yeah. we don't need anybody. We think we, we, we live in the fallacy and the lie that we don't need anybody until our legs are chopped off. Right. Well, yep. not chopped off, but like, yep. you know, and then, and I, kind of going back to um, what we were talking about in the intro of humility is something that we can either um, actively pursue or it gets pursued for us. <laughs> and um, yep. which it really sucks sometimes. And, you know, when, when COVID happened, we basically were homeless for a myriad of reasons. It was not one reason, but we had to live with my aunt for nine months. And let me tell you with a newborn, that is really humbling. And um I just, I think what you were saying about like, I don't want people to look at me. Mm -hmm. And I think some, sometimes when we've been the big sister so many times, it's terrible to be the little sister. Oh yeah. It is terrible to need. And it, I remember when my ex, um, cheated on me the first time and it was really bad and really, really bad. <laughs> Don't worry. We got back together and planned a whole wedding. But <laughs> I remember saying to this girl, I remember saying to this girl that she would like bought me pad Thai. I just kind of met her, but she worked with my ex and we were, we both had faith. And so she like was like, come over. And she bought me pad Thai, which I think that was my first time having pad Thai or I don't remember. Mm-hmm. All I remember saying to her, I was like, what you were exactly were saying. And I, I don't want to compare a brain tumor no. to somebody cheating on you. But the idea of like, I have not sat with this yet. So it's still this fog, right? It's this fog. And I just kept saying to her, I'm, this isn't me. I'm the one that's always buying the food for, I'm the one that's taking care of people. I'm the one that's doing this. And what a gift to be in that humbling position. And we are able to love people better when we have been so humbled, not just from a standpoint of, oh, so our heart has been broken, but I think also we can give in an act of humility instead of patting them on the head and being like, let me help you. Yeah. I mean, I, so leading up to this point, I hoped there was a bigger thing, but wasn't really sure I connected with it. And, but when I say bigger thing, like I, I, I do mean the concept of God, but God is a really tricky word for a lot of people. So I will just say something bigger than all of us. You can do the AA and say higher power. There you go. Higher yeah. power. I, I just wrote a book actually. And in the book, it's a memoir of this whole time. And I call it the bigness. So mm. like that, I, I was like, you know, I grew up like going to church and Sunday school and blah, blah, blah. But none of that ever applied to like middle school angst or mm. college losing myself. I like, it was like Bible stories, but I was like, 
but how do I find my way? None of that ever connected. There was no bridge for me between those two things. Mm. So I left that aside. I, I got busy. I didn't do that on Sunday. That wasn't a thing I was into at college or whatever. And so anyway, I'm saying all this that I, I kind of was interested in all that and I hoped it was all true. But then I had some very spiritual experiences during this brain tumor time where I was like, whoa, okay, 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 you're there. And uh, I think that those moments, I mean, you know, you're like, am I nuts? Like, am I on a lot of drugs? Which Mm -hmm. was not really true. Like everybody thinks when you have brain surgery, you're going to stay in the hospital for like three months and you're going to be like super doped up. That is not Mm -hmm. true. You're on Advil within about four days, five days, maybe. Um, And you're out of the hospital within three. Like that (laughs) is crazy time. So anyway, you ask yourself all these questions, like, am I making this up? Like whatever. And, um, I just felt extremely held in like the, the, like, um, what do people say? Like the veil, you know, like something that separates whatever very, is out there with it's us. A thin, it's a thin, like, it's so thin. Yeah. The veil I was like, and earth. I was like residing in that veil for like mm-hmm. a week. And then other things would happen to push me back into that um, and still happen. And that was like, oh my God, like, let me not leave here. Like, I feel so aligned. And this was this, I don't want to say it was supposed to happen, but like, I think of it similarly as like, I knew I was going to write a book one day, kind of my whole life. I I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write, but I didn't know what I was going to write about. And then when this showed up, I was like, ah, you devil, you know, like, <laughs> like, come on. Point and I off. actually, devil. I, I was just going to say, that's great. It's and a play like, on words. And I, feel I, little, feel little, I call God sneaky. I'm like, you're so, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So See, annoying. I'm like, you think you're the funny. Yeah, I know. You created humor. I get it. We, we serve, it. we serve a smirking God. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, what a good line. Totally. Yeah. So you know, I, I fully stepped into that and I believed I was going to be okay. Um, which was true, but that story is a lot simpler when you're the caretaker. Mm -hmm. Like, so I was both the caretaker for myself. You're going to be fine. And I was also extreme grief, extreme lost. So I was like coach and coaching myself through the whole Mm. thing. Um, yeah, it was tricky. And then even as a mom and, you know, like all the um, questions about your future and your kids and will they have a mom and will my, you know, should my husband get remarried one day? Like the conversations you never, ever want to have with your partner, with anybody, you are having them because even though you're pretty sure you're going to be okay, what the fuck do you know? You know, yeah, like, right, right, right. God, that's all super fingers crossed. Um. I think something else that I'm, I, I was wondering, cause you were talking about um, being with your friend. I think sometimes, you know, I, I don't know who, I, I feel like I'm paraphrasing somebody, but they said like healing is a, like there's so many layers to healing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes I can feel like, oh, I'm over this or, oh, yeah. I'm good now. I healed. I don't even mean like I'm over this. I just mean like I'm healed. And then something will like, prick me or like poke at me or like pierce me. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Something will pierce me. And I, you, I'm really in an active 
decision-making of like not shaming myself and mm -hmm. saying, and instead saying, what do I need to get out of this? What do I need to learn from this? Or what am I like, why? And I don't mean why, like, why God, why me? I just mean right. more like something else is going on. And right. so I need to acknowledge that and not shame myself and mm -hmm. acknowledge that. I mean, I think the survivor's guilt is just, it can be for so many different things. Trauma is trauma is trauma. It's real. And I, my, like that obviously was the crush story, but there is an echo of that, that I'm sort of in maybe coming out of right now, um, which is like, okay, that was bad. And then the book is over. <laughs> like that's, woo, that was a time, you know? And although I don't have terminal brain cancer, there are there are just uh, realities that impact my health now. I have seizures. Um, I'm now on seizure meds. I, as of last Friday, one week ago, is the first time I could drive in seven months. So I have these two young kids that have soccer in all these places. And even just like the freedom after school to take them anywhere, like, you know, was totally removed from me. And it's like complete lack of freedom on some level. You know, I learned to ride a bike. I now ride a bike. I mean, I knew how to ride a bike, but like I got a bike, you know. I was going to be like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm like a child again. Yeah. Uh, no, but you know, you, you make it work and you adapt, but it doesn't mean that it's what you want. Mm. And so. Wait, 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 say that again. Uh, you make it work and you adapt, but it doesn't mean it's what you want. And it doesn't mean it's, it's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you survive again, you survive the trauma or the tough story. And I am, if anything, I'm just really tentative now of what else is going to show up. Mm. Um, because I didn't see this seizure stuff coming. And in California, I was having these seizures, but I like, it's like partial vocal seizures. They're called, I don't lose consciousness or anything. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of get distracted. In California, they give no shits. You can totally drive. In Virginia, where I just moved to, you can't drive for six months after your last seizure is under control. Wow. In Maryland, which I will never move to, is one year. <laughs> so now Maryland is off the table forever. Yeah. Like just because, and these are the things like, oh my God, states, different driving possibilities. And now I have this, uh, you know, pre-existing condition that will follow me for the rest of my life. And I'm the alive, fact that it's, but and damn. The fact, and, well, and the fact that it's not like you're losing, losing consciousness, but it's the fact right. that, yeah, right. Yeah. And you know, this is like the bureaucracy of the world. Who's deciding if I'm healthy enough mm. and what's that definition? Well, apparently it's different in many States. Well, mm. that's a mind fuck, you know, like, yeah. um, so my own control over my health and my intuition about how I am doing has not changed. I feel solid and good. Even when I was having these little episodes, I never felt dangerous in a car. I would never put my children in a dangerous situation if I thought And I don't believe good. you would put, you're like the most loving person. I don't think you'd put anyone else in a, a stranger. No, yeah. never. Um, so then when someone external told me, oh my gosh, that is a major problem. It's like shit, what else do I think is not a problem that someone, mm. a doctor of larger bureaucracy is going to start clamping down on me? And that sucks. I think, 
Oh, sorry. Do go you, ahead, Claire. Yeah. I just, I guess if you don't mind me referring to all of this kind of, this is how I look at the world with these sort of Please. things. It's like th- looking at it as a cross that you're carrying, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was the diagnosis or what you're dealing with right now. Do you ever find yourself uh, slipping into like escapism with it? Like, do you ever enjoy having someone in your life who doesn't know about this or those little moments of, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like I have a couple really big, bad things and I actually cherish having a couple relationships. Maybe they're not as deep as the people who know all my shit, but it can be really nice to have someone who doesn't know the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. This is like all pets to me. <laughs> yeah. Like people's dogs, my yeah. cat, everybody's like animals don't care at all who the president is. They, <laughs> they just want to love you. Um, I think that, that I get totally what you're saying. And I don't know if I wrestle that well right now or hold that well. When we moved to Virginia, mm-hmm. here's a great example. I signed up to run the book fair at my kid's school last year. Mm-hmm. I love book fairs. I love books. It was so much work because mm-hmm. I had no network. I couldn't ask for any volunteers. You're in the middle of COVID. Nobody can go mm-hmm. in and out of the school. It's like all these things. And at the mean, in the meantime, that same month, this whole thing is going on. Now your seizures are a big deal. You got to find second opinions. You're getting on medication. What are the side effects? And I, I was like, I got to tell everybody what is going on because mm. although it would have been calm and like kind of escapism, like you're saying, I just kind of always want to be like, you don't know the whole story. Like, please uh, give me an allowance here. And as a coach also, Oh my God. I mean, I, there's a little bit that you're in love with every person you coach, not in like a romantic threat to your marriage, but you have to be because they are vulnerable with you and they cannot be vulnerable with anyone else. And you hear all of these very real things from people. And you just want to walk around the grocery store and the whole world saying like, you don't know, like, you Mm -hmm. don't know, you don't know about all these people you see. And it's really, um, it's really equalizing, but you have to be brave enough to say your thing. So other people know and remember that. Yeah. I think you have to be able to be brave enough to say your thing. I think there's such a freedom in saying your thing. And I also think in the beginning, saying your thing has to be with safe people. It could be until that healing has really come where you can actually begin to share it on a broader stage. And I don't mean, not everybody is supposed to share their thing on a podcast, in Instagram, whatever. I just mean more like, there are people I realize that I'm going to talk to about certain things. And there are other people I've learned that's not a boundary that I can cross right now, but maybe so later I have can... the capacity to receive it. Exactly. Or that thing they've walked like a sense, for example, me walking back into the entertainment industry, there are people in my life that can't hear it. It's too painful because they've watched me a different version of me that was very, very wounded, be in the in- entertainment industry and be crushed and yeah. mistreated and, and just uh, give, literally give myself away. Like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that's not where I'm at now. But those people, it's just too much. You know, it's like Jesus, oh, yeah. Jesus couldn't be a prophet in his own hometown. You know, like <laughs> those people can't hear it. And that's okay. Like I, it's, it's protecting me and them. It's a mm-hmm. very good boundary. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that. But then I also love what you're saying about like, there is so much freedom and saying, yeah, this is where we are at. And I think so many people are so scared to be weak because they've been weak before or they've been vulnerable before and it has not been met with care or love. And so they're like, why bother? 
When I came back to work, I took six months off and then I came back to work. And for the first, I don't know, two months, all of my clients would always caveat like, well, this, I mean, this isn't a brain tumor. (laughs) I'm like a little upset about a meeting that happened the other day. And I had to like, really like always, always reassure like, oh my gosh, that is fine. That is a valid thing. Let's talk about it. What Mm. happened in the meeting? They were all really protective of me and really didn't want to come across as like, I mean, these things are so wildly skewed on paper. Right. And so they were really so sweet, but I had to, as coach, just kind of reassure like, no, no, no. We're just talking about you right now. Don't worry about me. Right. And that's, I think a strong coach or a strong mentor or any of that is going to at times open their story if it's relevant, but most of the time it's really not about you. And if you want to drop in one or two things every once in a while to build resonance with that person, sure. But it's, you're holding space for someone else to think Mm -hmm. and process and hold all their feelings. And so um, the dubious coaches, the folks that I'm more skeptical of, or I guess I'll just say, even say leaders or mentors or counselors are the ones that you kind of feel like they're secretly on a speaking tour when mm. they're talking to you and you're like, oh, I'm paying, I'm paying you. <laughs> I love right. That. What would you say to your 12 year old self? If you could say anything to your 12 year old self? Um, I would say you're not alone. I don't know that I needed to hear that at 12. I definitely needed to hear that later uh, in high school and college. There were some tricky things going on at home that still sometimes do in my family of origin. And I felt like I had to handle them and I didn't. Oh my gosh. I, I so, just resonate. I know Claire does too. Like that. I felt like I had to handle them and I didn't. Wow. Yeah. I just would say something has your back at all times mm. and you don't have to do that by yourself. And lastly, when you were high school, more high school, could be college. Yeah. You can go back to Sophie B. Hawkins if you want. What was your breakup song? It doesn't have to be what it, it could be when a, you loved a boy and they didn't love you back any to an actual breakup to like something hard, just hard happened. Well, I actually don't think this is a breakup. I think this is more just like, I love you and you'll never love me. But um, do you know that Ario Speedwagon song? I can't fight this feeling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was on a lot of my mix cassette tapes for a while. And I just think it was about like overcoming momentum, right? Like I just can't fight it anymore. And <laughs> I, just, I know like every word to that song. And I have a lot of memories about that in my like old boombox thing and putting it on a lot of different tapes. Oh, I love that. Jen, That's I awesome. have a thought. I just thought of this. I want to have you back. Great. Because I was thinking that too. Yeah. I want to have you back because I think that there's so much, I would love to have you back to talk a lot more about coaching. I feel like, and just being like a mentor. Yeah. Okay, so that's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, but Jen, great. this was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, my dears. I have all right, to you're call amazing. a CEO. Thank you okay. so much. I, I have to call a CEO. Then, then. <laughs> oh yeah, me too, me too. I have a meeting with the queen. Happy <laughs> TJ Maxx. Happy TJ Maxx. I got TJ Maxx. All right, bye. Bye, bye. bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.